Man is made in a way that if anything lights fire to his soul, impossibilities vanish. This is the Yoakum Strength Podcast with me, your host, Austin Yoakum. On this episode of the podcast, we have Tim Riley. Tim is a sports performance coach that specializes in NFL combine training and is the author of Jumping Jacked, the ultimate guide to getting ripped and jumping high. On this episode of the podcast, Tim takes us through his journey of addiction and recovery, why he gamifies combine training, and why he thinks you should take your own medicine as a coach. Tim's story was inspiring, and his methods are wicked, so strap in for another heater. Thank you guys for listening. Keep chopping wood. Before we hit the intro music, I wanted to introduce to you guys the Yoakum Strength Insider. The Yoakum Strength Insider is our online training platform that takes all of the ideas that we talk about on this podcast and implements them into a program that is available to you at the touch of your fingers. Our goal with the Yoakum Strength Insider is to create better movers to level up your life, and to move forward from where you are. We do this in a holistic fashion. Not only will you receive a program that has helped hundreds of people become better movers, you'll also receive access to our app that allows you to track everything, has video links for all exercises, and allows you to be in constant communication with a Yoakum Strength Coach. Along with this, you'll get our 30-page PDF Nutrition and Lifestyle Guidelines. That includes everything from what to eat, how much of it to eat, why we're eating it, meditation habits, and other lifestyle habits that we implement with our clients to really level up their lives. If you're interested in trying out one of these programs, use Podcast 25 in the discount section right before you pay for 25% off your first program. Boom. This is the Yoakum Strength Podcast. Take the leap down the rabbit hole with us as we interview elite-level guests to unravel what high performance really is. All right, well, Tim, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to have you here. Thanks for having me, man. We So we just got done talking about kind of the how during this podcast we try to give like this this overarching view of your life and, and the also nitty-gritty part. And one of the things that you just mentioned like two seconds ago, you're like, if you're you're doing this in the right way, like all of that is kind of connected and the thought processes are kind of connected. Can you kind of talk about why you think those things are so connected and how you have connected those things in your life? Because you do not do you know, and our profession maybe is a little bit different. Maybe it is a little bit more connected for some people, but there's definitely coaches out there where it's not connected for them. And then there's also a huge population of people where they feel no connection of their life to their job. And, and that's like, it's like they're searching for that connection. So can you kind of talk about how you've got to a point where you feel like you are connected to your job and your passions and your life? And it's kind of all one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, man. God, it's such a good question. Um, I guess I could have seen that question coming considering what we just got to talking about. But, um, you know, so much about and I, I think it probably makes more sense to talk about like what my life looked like before I discovered that I could train and make money doing it and it be a profession. And, um, you know, I grew up, I'm from Nashville, Tennessee. Um, and I grew up in a home. It was really volatile, uh, you know, abuse of every kind. You can use your imagination. And father was a drug addict, uh, broken home. Mom had a lot of boyfriends that weren't nice guys. Uh, it was tough for me and my brother. And, you know, I found um, that I could, and I only know this in hindsight, but my one of my ways to cope was, um, dude, I, like one of my first loves was basketball. I would go out into the driveway and I'm not kidding. 
from the moment I was able to go outside till I had to be back inside, I would pretend I would just three, two, one, and then jack up the buzzer beater. You know, like I, I found like comfort in obsession. I found comfort in sort of throwing myself into things and being very all or nothing. And, um, you know, it was very, a very addictive way of operating. And so that, that was a, that's been the story of my, the first chapter of my life um, was being very all or nothing and having this ability to sort of dive into something and being completely immersed in it um, and having very little room for gray in my life. It was black or white. It was this or that. Uh, as I got older, um, you know, I got into drugs and alcohol and slowly like sports, which I loved and I was good at, you know, I'm, I was never an elite athlete. I don't think I would have ever had any real chance of playing a professional sport. Um, but I was certainly above average and, um, you know, getting into high school, I was getting arrested all the time. I could not stop getting arrested. It was crazy. It was like I, if the, if if police were like a negatively charged magnet and I was a positively charged magnet, we were just completely we were colliding frequently. Um, and I wanted, dude, I wanted, I wanted to show up. I wanted to do my homework. I wanted to, like, I wanted to do all these things. And I got this my whole life. Tim, you're so smart. You're so talented. If you could just do insert thing, homework, show up to school on time, you know, be prepared, tuck in your shirt, all the stuff. If you could just figure it out, you could be so great. And I remember just being like, motherfucker, if I could just do that, I would, you know, something was missing. And, um, you know, as I got older, I, I'm in high school. I'm not able to play because of my grades. You know, I'm supposed to be starting varsity, sophomore year, basketball. I played football as well um, and uh, didn't play a single game in my high school career on varsity um, because of grades and just being in trouble. And then I ended up transfer. I, I was asked kindly not to return to the school I was at. I went to a different school and I ended up dropping out entirely and getting my GED. Um, and this is where training showed up for me. Um, I had always been a competitor. I, I mean, I loved it. And I, and once it was gone, I really recognized like how much I missed it and how important it was to me. And because I didn't have it, I didn't have access to it. The only thing that was left was the training, which by the way, I didn't really enjoy <laughs> while I was actually playing. Like, you know, I wanted to look, I wanted to get a girlfriend, you know, I would do bicep curls and like, you know, lateral raises and abs and stuff. You know what I mean? Um, but it was only after the fact where I was like, oh, you know, like um, I can run faster and jump higher. And get, like this can it's more than just vanity, you know, or status. Um, and my life continually got worse as, you know, I can, you know, I started selling drugs, got involved in the life. Um, drug and alcohol abuse did not get better. <laughs> it got much worse. Um, but I always had this thing that I could return to. And that was training. And I would. I would go through like these benders where like I would, I would start partying and I would just like, I'd lose the job, lose the girlfriend, you know, and I would say, all right, I'm going to get it. I'm going to figure this out. And I'd start working out. That's, that was always ground zero is I'm going to get back in shape, you know, and I'm going to get the job and I'm going to fix things with the girlfriend. And, 
the only thing that I could ever do semi-consistently out of all those things and trying to piece my life together after constantly trying to build it back up and tearing it apart was the gym. And I was obsessive over it, man. I mean, when I, when I first got into it, you know, all I had was like YouTube and like T nation and like, like, you know, Instagram, like there, it wasn't like this, like wealth of information that it is today. Um, and most of it was trial and error or like just the old redneck guy at my local YMCA <laughs> who, you know, knew how knew like West side barbell conjugate training, like a religion, you know? And so like, I'm just, I'm, I'm stumbling through training just sort of blind in the dark, but I'm really grateful for that experience because it's kind of like a, I, I view it as my rite of passage, almost like this part of my story as a trainer where I can relate to, you know, um, who are trying to figure it out. It's not easy. <laughs> um, so anyway, um, I get to this place. I, I've ruined my life over and over and over again. I'm going to lose the job again. I've already lost the girl. Um, and I get to my rock bottom place. Um, and I'm 25. And for the first time, I was just overwhelmed with the reality that my life is not going anywhere. It was not going to get better unless something dramatic happened and changed. And, um, you know, while I don't consider myself a religious person today, um, I, and I, I, I threw up a prayer that was more or less helped me. And my life changed. <laughs> I mean, there's no, I mean, within a week, I was like, I have to go to rehab. And I, I moved out of Tennessee. I went to rehab, moved into a halfway house. And this is where I got my first job in fitness uh, at selling personal training, right? Not a trainer, selling personal training. And uh, because of my previous background in sales, uh, you could say, I was pretty good. I mean, you know, I've always been kind of good. I was, I've always been good with people. Um, and I excelled at that. But I, I found really quickly that that didn't fulfill me. You know, I, I was able to connect with people and I was kind of able to like be this like, you know, middleman, so to speak, between, um, you know, meeting them where they're at and then putting them in the hands of someone who could help them get where they want to go. But I saw really quickly that, you know, that that happens uh, in that setting, in that big box gym setting that I was in at that place, that was not happening. And so I felt more like a, like a slimy car salesman than I mm -hmm. did anything else after a while. And so um, I knew I wanted to help people. I knew I wanted to connect. You know, my last job before I got sober, I was a counselor at a teen crisis shelter. Uh, ironically, I was the one in crisis. Um, and um, I, I tried working in drug and alcohol rehabilitation. Um, I tried my hand, you know, working in that field again, just because, you know, selling personal training wasn't it. And then I wanted to help people and be connected. And I, listen, I say I wanted to help people. And that's, that's one of the most cliche bullshit things. When people are like, why do you want to be a trainer? It's like, I want to help people. It's like, no, the fuck you. No, no, no. No, you don't. That is a wonderful byproduct. But if I'm hiring a trainer, for example, I don't want the reason to be because I want to help people. I want it to be because you are obsessed. You are crazy about training and learning about training. You get to help people because of that. Uh, and I can get to that later. But, um, you know, I, I got to this place in my life again where, like, things weren't working out. I'm sober. I've got a kid on the way. Um, I need to do something. Um, and I knew how to train. I knew that I loved it. And I knew that if I got a certification, I could make some decent money pretty quickly. And what I learned, and this is where it all ties together, 
about what I've learned in my life, how it shows up for me in training today, um, and how the two for me are really inseparable. You know, in the process of getting sober, I had to be willing to admit that I didn't know everything, that the things that I had tried in the past weren't working for me, and that being open to new information and what other people are doing can be a way out. It can be, a, that's an option, you know? And essentially what I had to do is find someone, a, a, you know, a sponsor uh, that I could latch onto that could show me how to live like an adult man, to show up for my life, to, to be responsible, to be a, a, a member of society. And going through that process, when it became time, I made up my mind that I was going to be a trainer. Dude, that's what I did. Like, I, I went to this school, uh, National Personal Training Institute. It's a certification just like all the other ones. The only difference is it's like a technical college where you go and there's, you know, there's kinesiology, biology, um, lecture style courses and anatomy, A&P. Um, and then during the first part of the day, second part of the day, you go out onto a gym floor and you apply what you've learned. Um, and there's trainers there. And I found the most successful trainer, the one I liked the most. Uh, that had been doing it for the longest. And I walked up to him and said, look, I want to learn from you. I'll do whatever it takes. I'll clean up your weights. I'll be here when you tell me to be here. I'll leave when you tell me to leave. And I would get up at 4 a.m. and I would go and shadow him and pick up his weights um, and bring him breakfast and all the stuff. And then I would go to class at that technical school for the rest of the day. Um, and man, like, you know, I've done a lot of certifications and they've been, some have been helpful, some haven't. You know, I've paid for um, all kinds of con continuing education and, you know, just because of my experience in life and, you know, having failed time and time and time again, and then finding someone who was willing to mentor me that and, and then doing what they say to do, you know, like uh, being willing to take this new information and apply it. Um, I, I took that to personal training, dude. And, um, I attribute where I'm at today, which is was my ultimate goal. So that's that's special to me. Um, and the time that I've been able to do it to being able to apply what I learned and what it took to get sober and what it took to grow up um, and the amount of effort it goes into completely changing your life. Um, and I've been able to apply that to personal training, you know, and it all goes back to you know, some of my best qualities are some of my worst qualities. You know, that same kid that can walk out at, at 8 a.m. and shoot hoops all the way till 8 p.m. at night, that same obsessive nature, like that is the same attitude I took towards learning everything I possibly could about training. And a lot of it was probably fueled by being inadequate, by not feeling like I was good enough, by not being smart enough, by not having the answer. But it served me <laughs> for a while, you know? Um, so, um, just like I did in getting sober by having a sponsor, I, I would constantly find coaches who I felt like I wanted what they had, you know, their knowledge, where they were financially, um, how they interacted with other people. Um, and my story professionally mirrors that of my life, um, as just a human being where it's like. I've constantly tried to be just as good or better than the next benchmark of the person I want to learn from. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, that, that's a pretty badass story. I love that. One of the things I want to I kind of want to tie into, you, you mentioned that comfort and obsession. And 
the, the the two sides of the same coin and this is something that uh, I'm, I'm always interested in it's almost always the same it's like you you say like that obsessive piece that allowed you to shoot the hoop from 8 a.m to 8 p.m that's the same obsessive like yeah. addiction personality that allows you to get into drugs and alcohol and, and go into that pathway and it's like the two sides of that yeah. same coin and just making sure you have enough structure because i was the same way man i i i wasn't i was never basketball i was football and i would throw I, we had this slanted roof on my house and I would throw the football on top of the roof and it would this, be this blind fall. And I would sit there, throw it up, catch it, throw it up, catch it. I'd literally sit there for five to six hours a day, like moving back and <laughs> forth, doing nothing. And like you said, like you talk about visualizing that one, two, three, like I was visualizing that, that final catch and I put my gloves on. I would do it, everything. But I, was, yes. and I did that for years, but it's the same and I know I know I have an addictive personality. In high school, I started drinking with with people around me and people that were in the same thing. Like they also had that addictive personality. They would we'd all go to the weight room and we'd sit there for five to six hours and same thing. And we'd go we'd go drink after and it'd be <laughs> the same thing, like freshman year. And I was like, man. Oh, and I didn't even pull myself out. My high school coach saw what was happening. And basically he pointed that out to me before I even realized. He's like, the same thing that is allowing you to do what you do in the weight room and on the field is what's allowing is what's gonna make you take it all all off on the off the field. And he was able to pull me out and be like, stay yeah. in the fucking weight room, bro. Like stop applying stop doing these things in off of the weight room because you're you're gonna and that was a lot enough structure for me. But for my friends, it wasn't, man. And for my friends, it allowed them to completely stare off because they never they never went back into the weight room. But that addictive personality, that two sides of the same coin is something to really emphasize, especially when you're working with athletes. It's like that 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 everybody's like they want to be that athlete they, they want to be that successful person it's like have you been inside that successful person's brain that that allows him jake you and i both know jake one of his comments the other day was like the the millionaires are millionaires because they're just fucking millionaires like everybody wants this course and it's like it's not the course it's that they're just fucking different like their brain just works fucking differently and you for the most part you probably yeah. don't want that brain you don't want that brain that takes them in the pathways to allows no. them to be a millionaire and see the world in the way that like they see it and are addicted to it yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, and, and, and that's relatable. And it's funny because I was when you were talking about when you were talking about your friends, I was thinking I was like, you know, I hats off to you for like being able to take the direction of someone like you know who is like looking out for you in your best interest and pointing out and being able to see it. It took me, you know, again till I was twenty five <laughs> to get to a place where I was like, oh, you know, this isn't working. Yeah, and 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 one of the things you t- you talked about was your kind of process during it was like you were trying out all these different methods and and, and like basically running that scientific experiment on yourself and that was one of the posts that you yes. had that I was like oh this is awesome because it's also like when you when you're working with the clients it's like training is just observation and like forming this hypothesis and making a prediction and hopefully like the prediction that we make if we can we kind of steer that 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 athlete or that person that we're working with towards this like the, the, our method is going to steer them towards the result that we want, but it's all this kind of experiment and, and watching and seeing what's happening. And I, I'd love like, and you talked about like your kind of background was that like your background was all of that. And, and then, like seeing that and experiencing it is huge too, because mine was the same way. Like I tried 19 different methods and none of them worked. I looked to the left, like a guy that's not training at all. And he's seeing the game way faster. And I'm like, what the fuck, man? Like, you know, like trying all these methods, all these, <laughs> nothing was working. And this dude is like, so it was really nice. It's it's really nice to go through that process. Like you said, like that rite of passage process, because then you're able to see things like that. You're not able to see, you don't see things in, I did this. This is the answer. A equals B. It's like, it, it's all that experiment, man. Mm-hmm. And you, you got to be able to like, 
you got to be able to play with the gray. And maybe that that's where I'm kind of trying to take this too. is like you used to, you said you used to see everything black and white, all or nothing. Where did that kind of gray yeah. mindset come into your, like, how did that come into your play in training to where now you're able to see things in? It is this experiment. It is this observational based thing. And we're not just going to stick this sheet of paper that's in front of us because maybe that athlete just got broken up with. Maybe, maybe something's totally messed up with what's in front of us, or maybe just my program's messed up. Like I, I predicted wrong and it's not going to work for the guy in front of me. How did you get to kind of that gray mindset to work with the people in front of you? Um, you know, I think like uh, my life experience with everything that you just touched on about like uh, being willing to step outside of my comfort zone, you know, being able to stand on the bedrock that is the experience I've had up to this point while simultaneously trying to take a very logical, non-emotionally attached approach to like, what, what is, what does this person need and want? Like what, like what, what's going to be most likely the drivers for this. And so, you know, it becomes, and that therein lies to me, like the art form of what we do. So like I can take someone and let's just say for low hanging fruit, like they, they want to jump higher and, and put on muscle, right? <laughs> Cause we're probably going to talk about jumping jack later anyway. So, um, you know, on a broad scale, I, I can put together a program based on my experience of what I've seen work best. And it's a template and it's cookie cutter, and it should work decently well for most people, right? But when you get to the individual level, the amount of information that I'm able to accumulate during this observation mode based on what they've done in the past, what do their first couple workouts look like? You know, like I'll go into it with a plan based on all the information, but my plan might change two, three, four, five times (laughs) over the course of their first five weeks of training because I'm being presented with new information. You know, Um, and I think ultimately, like what it comes down to with like the combining like my experience with like the scientific method of, you know, observing something, applying something, see if it works out or what the effect is. And then circling around and starting like this whole process over again is I can lean on all the experience that I had growing up training every single person that I've ever trained in the past in combination with like this scientific, what's most likely going to work with this person. But then also when the plan doesn't work or you don't get the desired outcome, being able to think critically around why it isn't working and what could be a better option. Um, And so in that sense, like I can start most people like a training program is going to look probably pretty much the same, but as time go, goes on and you get to, you get more comfortable and you get a better understanding of what this person needs, wants, what works for them. It should all look pretty different. I mean, there's like basic elements. And then there's also like that flavor and spice that you can throw in. And um, I'm not saying that like, I've got that figured out either. You know, it's still a learning process. And you know what, dude, if it wasn't, I probably wouldn't train anymore. I'd be bored with it. I'd be miserable. You know, if everything was just Groundhog Day and it was always the same. Um, But in the same breath, like, there's also no sense to change things for the sake of changing them. Right? Like, don't do that either. Um, So I hope that answers the question. No, that's amazing. And this is a point that I love touching on because... A lot of a lot of the things that we do uh, at my gym are in quotations like outside of the box. And 
this is where you get like I'll have this young strength coach that comes up. He's like, basically, they're just trying to rebel to rebel. And like, yeah, fuck the system, fuck like fuck all of it. It's like, well, <laughs> that's not really it. Like that, that's not really it. Like there's a there's a big difference between. Uh, I've been thinking about this. It's like there's a big difference between going through the game and beating the game. And then going back and fixing what you felt were glitches in the game or what was wrong with the game and just not even starting the game and saying the game sucks. Like there, there's there's massive differences there, like not just rebelling to rebel, not just throwing it out, but grabbing what you can and, and leaning on and keeping what you feel like is valuable and then actually changing what you felt like wasn't valuable. But the the, the tough part now yes. is like you, you, you have a lot of co- it's like it is cool to just kind of be a rebel. So now it's like okay fuck it all and it's, it's really it's like that's not it that's definitely not what we're saying that is not even in the slightest of what we are saying it's like you yeah, like and again at some point you got to run through those t-nation articles and these youtube workouts and like the bodybuilder.com workouts and the instagram and try it like go through the system try the game <laughs> grab what you can and you're going to realize a lot of it is bullshit and a lot of it you can light on fire that that's mm-hmm. part of the journey but that does not mean everything that you do like everything people talk about is bullshit so i, I love that you bring up that point because there's a big difference between just randomly throwing stuff on a sheet of paper and rebelling to rebel and and going through the system and actually grabbing on to what you feel like works and then again you you talked about being constantly open to the new information that is being presented to you you know like it's this constant journey it's not stuck even what you and i are going to talk about today and what we feel like maybe it is jumping jacks program maybe it's whatever we're doing it's like in five years that's probably going to change it not probably it's going to change it's going to change what we believe in and how, how we do it because we're open to that new information that's coming to us. Yeah, 100%. And there's something you said in there, you know, like the the person who rebels just to rebel. So like there's one end of the spectrum. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you alluded to it earlier, you know, the person that won't deviate from the, the sheet, you know, the program. Um, and, and in my experience, um, both might be well-intentioned, but at a certain level, it, it both ends of those spectrum are the same thing. And it's, mm-hmm. it's this unwillingness to fail, you know, to, to be, to try new things, to be open to new information. Um, and I do love the idea of, you know, now some, I, 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 cause this is my story. So of course I'm biased, right? We're like, I trudged through all of this, the, the, that old school training and all that information and tried all this different stuff. Maybe that's not necessary to be, um, you know, uh, a great coach, right? Um, But it was necessary for me. And I'll say something that you said about, like, you know, uh, learning the game, uh, going through the game, figuring the game out, and then being able to circle back and say, hey, here's the stuff that really worked, and and then I can leave the rest behind. Pat Davidson says something that summates that so well. And he says, state troopers get to speed on the highway. And when he said that, I was just like, I was like, yes, dude, like (laughs) that, that nails it. Like you, you know, when you figure, when you know the rules and you've played by the rules and you are an enforcer or can enforce those rules and you know why they're there, you get to break them, you know, air quote rules, you know? Um, then you can start to bend the matrix <laughs> um, and and you can sort of uh, that that can be like the bedrock or the jumping off point for you to like leave the security blanket behind of either saying this is how it has to be or none of it matters anyway. 
And now you get to step forth and say, okay, now I have to actually critically think for myself. Yeah, I love that you brought up the the other end of the spectrum too, because that's I wrote about that yesterday too. Is basically like the only thing worse than following to follow is to rebel to rebel. But like they they're on the same spectrum, opposite ends of the spectrum. And like you said, unwillingness to fail, the unwillingness to go to the unknown, the unwillingness to accept that new information, and the unwillingness to like think critically. And I, I think that's super important because it's both ends are grabbing to an extreme because it's easier to be at the extreme because then failure matters less. Like if you fail and you're part of the yep. group that follows the rules, then you follow the rules and like and then it was the rules fault that you broke. And if you're on the end of the spectrum where nothing matters, you failed because nothing matters and everything's bullshit, you know? So it's like both just kind of scapegoats to if something bad happens, you can take a step out and you, you have something to blame it on. Yeah, it's kind of like, it's like one's the teach. It's like I. It's it feels like adolescence to me. We're like one's the teacher's pet, and the other's like the goth kid ripping cigarettes behind the mall. You know what I'm saying? Like both, both, both are kind of stuck in this place. It's like not great to be in, right? At least not forever. Yeah, we want want to be a little bit. Uh, maybe maybe like the maybe like the jock, where it's like the teachers like you because you you have some skill set, but you don't want to be you don't want to be the the, the nerd. Where like there's only one thing that you <laughs> right. can answer. Um, so a little balance. Yeah, a little balance. So we talk about bringing in new information, and then this is something that I I really I really like that point that you talk about. You're being presented with new information constantly. Uh, and, and one of the things that you talked about is like the best assessment for your clients is training. And, and I, I really like that point because that's that's what we do too. Like you said, you did all these continuing ed courses. And I'm sure you've had 19 different assessments brought to you and like 24 different ways to assess athletes and 19, like score them and do everything. And it's like, man, to me, and this, obviously this is biased, but a lot of that to me is like, it, it seems so like I'm selling you poison. Like this is how you're wrong. And and it keeps yeah. you in like this matrix setting of like, is that real? But it's also like, I'm selling you poison here. I can point out you suck at this drill, most likely because you've just never done the drill before, but you suck at this drill. I can, <laughs> yeah. fix you. you know, like I can fix you. I can get you better at the drill. Whereas I throw an athlete in a game. I throw an athlete, like going to go lift some weights or whatever. I just watch some film or just watch them move. A lot of times you can watch them walk in. It's like, I learn more about them just doing that than I can anything else. Like running them through a, any, any of these, like the, the, these, these assessments that they, they charge like $20,000 to take these courses, you know, like, what are we doing? Like, and we're, <laughs> we're talking to these athletes and just charging them to charge them uh, and selling them this poison. But why, why do you believe that the best assessment is actual training rather than, than some of these assessment methods? Yeah, I think to answer your question pointedly, and then I'll go on and tell elaborations, like. Nothing, almost always, what's happening in an assessment isn't happening in a training session, you know, and what's happening in an assessment. And then, and like, let's just, let's limit that to gen pop clients. And then taking, uh, you know, a lateral step to athletes, what's happening in assessment almost always isn't happening on the field and like a body that's moving and bringing in information and making quick decisions doesn't move the same way as you know someone doing an fms test or an overhead squat you know um i think i'll use Bijan robinson so he's he's getting ready you know for the pre-draft here with us and he's got some of the worst quote-unquote feet i've ever seen <laughs> some of the worst ankles i've ever seen and i posted a video two days ago and this guy's 220 pounds and moves like barry fucking sanders it's the craziest <laughs> thing i've ever seen so you can't tell me you can't you can't tell me that his feet are holding him back. You can't, you know, like 
He would he would do terrible in an FMS score. He is a top ten athlete in this NFL draft. You know, um, so you know, th- th- for me, there's just there's a disconnect between what's happening in this setting with the assessment and what occurs um, outside of it. Um, and I'll say this too, you know, all of those courses and all those different ways of looking at how to assess people and why they can't access this range of motion or why they're limited all the way from like, you just need to do the couch stretch and do, you know, uh, hip thrust with a, a, a band around your knees to get activated in some bird dogs to, you know, Oh, they're a wide ISA or a narrow ISA and it's, it's expansion and compression and, and, and everything's propulsion, you know, all of that stuff. Um, it's not that it's invaluable. In fact, it's all valuable. I think that there's a lot of value in being willing to drink a little bit of the Kool-Aid long enough to be open-minded to the concept that maybe this is useful. Mm-hmm. But um, I think where a lot of people can run into trouble is when they find one thing and it becomes the 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 bedrock or the 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 keystone from which all the rest of their training and programming is built upon just off of an assessment you know that you did before you started training them that is fucking that is bananas to say and then like and and also too there there is this this piece and it all feels like also too it's like a sense of comfort you know, here's what's wrong with you. Here's how we're going to fix it. And it makes everyone feel warm and fuzzy to have a plan, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, well, guess what, dude? It's, I wish life were that fucking easy. And sometimes it is. Sometimes it is that easy. Sometimes I can say, uh, you've, you've got patellar tendinopathy. You're, you've got some jumper's knees. Let's smash some fucking deep squats and leg extensions. And it works, you know? Uh, and then other times it doesn't, you know? Um, but... All that to say, I think I think ex- having exposure to all of this, all these different uh, assessments, movement practices, beliefs has been useful useful in helping me see the way they show up in actual training. But it's not the foundation or bedrock with what I do in terms of like dictating where we go from here without ever putting them under load under any stress. Because um, you can learn a lot about someone uh, on their first training session on their top set of an RPE six that they feel like is an RPA goblet, goblet squat. You know, you learn a lot. Yeah. That, um, that, so yeah. That, 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 that's fucking awesome. You're talking about like, uh, just sipping the Kool-Aid, which uh, th- th- that's so like, that's so important because it goes back to the balance, but sipping the Kool-Aid is awesome. And I, I try to do that with everything. I try to approach everything with the open mindset. I'm going to sip this Kool-Aid. I'm going to try here. Like you said, especially like young coaches. And I've caught myself doing this too. Like, when early on, it's the first sip of Kool-Aid you have. You're like, oh, fuck, that's sweet. Ooh, that's sweet. That's an answer. Like, that gives me an answer to something. Like, oh, there's so much shit out there. That gives me an answer. I stay, And I stop, I don't set down that glass, man. Like, I don't stop drinking the Kool-Aid. And by the time I'm done, like, I'm, I'm, I'm at the end, bro. Like, I'm at the end of this punch, like, this punch bowl. And I'm continually to sip. And, and there's nothing else there. And it's the only answer. And, and I've seen so many coaches get kind of sucked down that rabbit hole. And I, I've definitely been sucked down it, too, before. It was Olympic list for me for the longest time. And then it was DeFranco stuff for the longest time. Um, And, like, going down those pathways and not being able to break out. And now it's like, okay, now, now understand, okay, it's sweet. 
it it tastes good but that doesn't mean it's i don't need to like chug the whole thing i don't need to binge all of the kool-aid in one second but being able to just give myself that space um which i which i think is super super important because like you said like the other thing like I, you talk about the first the first day with that athlete like i've seen athletes completely change from day one to week one too that's not that's no intervention totally. on my part too like they're just getting more comfortable. They were nervous the first day. They come in and there's 20 other dudes that have been working with me for two years. It's their day one. These guys <laughs> yes. are just fucking screaming and they're ripping their shirts off and like they're fucking weirdos. <laughs> and you come in day one and I'm going to perform a test with you with everybody watching. And like you're nervous and you're tense and you're not performing the way that you want to perform. Week one later, you've bullshitted with these guys for a week. And then now now you're yeah. perfect and you you pass all these tests. And what am I going to say? Like, I fixed you all my tests. It's like, man, that's just that's just not how any of this really works. And it's that that paradox that's right in front of all of us that if you're sipping, the, it's like you're sipping this Kool-Aid that allows you to not see the paradox that is just straight in front of you. Like you said, that that bad feet. Right. There's so there's so many examples like the knees out thing. You watch any NBA player ever and all of their knees are in when they're jumping, you know, like the. The, the bad literally feet. all of them yes yeah the bad feet that dude's a top 10 nfl athlete like what are we talking about but yeah. we're, we're, we're so blind because it, it, it's so hard to go like again I, i've heard a bunch of coaches recently talk about this too it's like we attach our identity to our training method the fact that you, your athlete had the had the bad feet and if my whole identity was attached to having good feet like th- then i'm attached to the identity of okay i need to see good feet this athlete has bad feet and he's a great athlete instead of just being able to be like, okay, my idea is wrong. It's like, I am stupid for having that. So I refuse to see what's kind of right in front of my eyes, which is this paradox of good feet is probably not the answer. And and my parent, and that's what, that's what keeps me engaged in this field though. It's like seeing those paradoxes right in front of me. Cause for the longest time, like for all of college, I was told knees out as the answer, knees out as the answer. And then I was, I, I, I did it the whole time. I moved shittier than ever before. And I'd watch all these good athletes <laughs> not do what I'm doing. And and then I finally saw it. Now Jake was one of the best. Like just like when he, when people are able to put it in like a comical way, rather than like like they're able to take your guard down just a little bit, put it in a comical way, and you're like, oh, see, and I'm like, oh, okay, and you you just see something, and it just snaps, and like that's what I live for in this field is just being able to see those paradoxes and dive in, and like, okay, there's more, there's more to dive into here, and let's get it. So I, I like to piggyback off the feet thing. So I, I got an opportunity to do like a paid speaking event for uh, Vivo Barefoot and they have a course. It's extensive. And I, I had to take the course before I could speak. And uh, the course concept was, was um, how to integrate barefoot training um, into an athletic setting. You know, what, how is that? And, and in my, in my warmups with my athletes, Whenever I get an opportunity, I have them just pop their shoes off. We start that way. And then when things really pick up in intensity, the shoes come back on. So I go through this entire learning thing and it is extensive. So technically, you know, it's Tim Riley's certified Vivo Barefoot coach. Um, uh, I, finished, I finished the course and, you know, like, uh, and I, I when, when the barefoot thing first blew up, you know, and I've done Gary Ward's courses um, and they're brilliant. And then, it, you know, this course was very different. Um, and then I've, I also, I don't know if you're familiar with Joel's Elastic Essentials. Yep. Um, he's got great stuff about the foot in there. All of it is completely different for the most part. I mean, Joel's got some of Gary's stuff in there. But um, all that to say, like, if I were looking at it from the 
Vivo Barefoot Lent. Uh, and I feel pretty confident I'm not going to be doing any more paid speaking events for them, so I can share this. Who uh, would be spending a lot of time trying to fix Bijan's feet? And I, the, I would be sold on the certainty that this is limiting his performance. It's not optimal. It's not what nature intended for his feet to be able to do and how to move. Um, and I think so much of what, like, the crux of what we're talking about, and this is just like a, a pointed example, is so often assessments, training systems are all about making the person fit into your box, you know? When in actuality, like if you're going to meet people where they're at and give them what they need, you need to find out how to get outside of your box and give give that to them, you know? Um, and, you know, Bijan is probably going to run – uh, you know, a sub four, four at the 40, his feet are mangled, you know, and a lot, they are. And, uh, you know, and he can stop on a dime and it's like his feet have taken that shape over time to allow him and afford him the stiffness, the, pres- the, the ability to stop that quickly and get in and out of cuts. It's part of what makes him great, you know, and who am I going to be to come along and clean it up, you know? Uh, because I got a Vivo Barefoot certification, get the fuck out of here. No way. <laughs> yeah, Chad, we I just had Chad Taylor on the podcast, and he's like, "Does it work? Like, just eliminate all the bullshit. Like, does it work?" Yeah, and he's he was talking about it too. He's like, <laughs> and he's like at the highest level too. It's like it's all bullshit because you'll you'll have this coach. He's like he Chad was talking about how he coached a guy deadlifting eight hundred pounds, and one of the, he had a bunch of coaches like come to him. He's like, "How did you?" get a guy to deadlift 800 pounds like how'd you do it like give me your program and he's like i could have just bullshitted him give him a 12-week program and charge him 200 dollars to get him an 800 he's like the truth was that dude came to me deadlifting 700 pounds he's like the dude was just a specimen and we just trained yeah. for two years and he went from 700 to 800 and he's like the same thing he's like we was talking about how a kid had a 40 inch vert and he's like, well, well, like, what'd you do to get the 40? Because he was, he said at that time he was super interested in getting his vert up. And he's like, what'd you do to get the 40 inches? How'd you do it? He's like, well, I don't know. I just jumped 40 inches in high school. It's like, the dude was a freak. Like, the dude was a freak. Chad <laughs> didn't make that. But now yeah. Chad's coaching a 40-inch athlete and is able to sell whatever he wants because he has that. But it's like, does it work? Yes. And looking yes. at it in that perspective, and like you said, leaving the box of what you are doing. But going back to that assessment piece, um, one of the other things that you mentioned is like the best warm up is competition. And and I think a lot of this ties in too yeah. is like not only is competition one of the best warm ups, it's also one of the best training like stimuluses. And it's also like you, you're able to assess athletes in that competition. Like if I'm going to assess an athlete, I want to assess them in the sport, in somewhat that, that something that somewhat resembles what they do psychologically and yeah. like physically. Like I'm both of them. Like, when they lose, what type of athlete are they? When they're winning, what type of athlete there are they? Uh, what, how are they moving during this? Like that, that to me, that's so important. So, can you kind of dive into what your warmups look like? Why that competition piece is so big for you, and what you're really trying to grab from that, and, and not not only grab from that information wise, but also give to your athletes during that. One hundred percent. So, like, um, I think I'll speak personally first. So, like, the best warm up before I have a dunk set is always a game of pickup basketball always i can do all the extensive pogos and a skips and sprints and get the nervous system primed and ready or iso pulls whatever it all pales in, in comparison to uh a game of two on two you know or three on three and then just go 
Like I don't have to think about anything mm-hmm. else. And, you know, applying that in like a training setting too, like some of the things, and I'll use my volleyball girls as an example. We'll play Danny ball where you get the medicine ball and throw it over the volleyball net. Mm-hmm. Literally so much fun. And I get to jump in there with them. So selfishly, I enjoy it too. But like, I can see that they both use two incredibly different strategies, moving laterally, what they do when they receive all the force from that medicine ball, how they redirect it. And all that stuff is valuable information. But more importantly, like they had so much fun. They're competing. When we go back in there to hit the weights, they are locked in. They are engaged. And like I have a standard dynamic warm up. You know, and it'll change from person to person based on, you know, what I think might be more helpful or not. But, you know, to get progress at something um, or to get better at something, and particularly, like, you have to do it a lot. And, like, with a dynamic warm-up, like, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what you do to get warmed up. I mean, it does on some level. Like, if you plan on jumping a lot or sprinting, you know, there's probably some things that you want to bias more in that warm-up if you're doing a more traditional warm-up but all of that stuff goes out the window you pay put five minutes on the clock and say whoever has the most points at the end of this five minutes of dandy ball wins that's, it. that's all you gotta do and there's 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 no way that there's any other better warm-up for some volleyball athletes that are about to run some acceleration runs maybe some lateral movement and then go power clean like that's yeah, I, I can't be told any different, at least not at the current moment. If I find something new, I'll let you know. <laughs> but, um, excuse me. So, yeah, I mean, from being able to get a better understanding of who they are, how they compete, the way they move in a competitive environment um, can really be illuminating in terms of, like, what might be helpful to them, what are they already good at. Um, and then, two, like, I train these people, these uh, these women, uh, twice a week for a year, you know, we've already, we're one year down. We're in, we're in year two of our contract, dude. Like they see me a lot, you know? And like from an engagement piece, like if I'm not coming up with a way that's useful, that's not just like something just cause I'm doing it because I'm thinking about doing it like that Danny ball game to keep them engaged and give them something new and fresh as competitors and athletes, like they're checking out. You know, um, so yeah, there's there's just a lot of for me, all of that stuff builds up to a really practical um, and logical thing to implement. Um, and in terms of like frequency, like how often, how often, like sometimes we just don't have time. Sometimes we're a man down, but when the opportunity presents itself to be able to do that, and they want to do it, do it. Yep. And I do. Yeah, that, that that's freaking awesome. We 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 talk about the same thing because. You talk about that engagement piece, and I remember for the first three years in the field, I was all about the dynamic warm up, and I was sold on it for so long of being like the the tone setter of the of the lift and everything. And for year one, I went to two college. My first two years, I went. I was at one college, then I went to a different college. Got a different job. So the first two years, the first month at both colleges, when you're the new coach and it's new and they're learning something, the engagement's super high in that warm up because one, you're new. The pressure's on. And two, they're learning something new. They're learning something new. They're learning the new dynamic hormone, whatever you're bringing. They think it worked. 
by fucking two months in, not a single athlete gives a fuck about what you're doing. Like, not a single athlete. <laughs> so is, like, true. They're, they're they're talking. They're doing bullshit, which is not. And fuck, I want my athletes talking too. But like, they're messing around. They're like, they're literally just going through the motions because they don't care anymore, and they're not learning anything. They're not engaged. So. I'm talking about that engagement asset. Give them a new game. Give them something to learn, or give them. You don't have to be a new game. Just give them that that competition piece. Because I promise you, they're not. They don't, like the engagement piece is not losing to that person. They're not engaged. They're going to lose their person across from them. And get shit talked the whole time. So that that's huge. <laughs> and like exposing them to those movement patterns and, and watching them there, like it's it really did not compare to me. And and I remember like at when I was at my last job. The athletic directors, when we went, we got new athletic directors after going division one and they, they wanted to come down and like, well, we really need a dynamic warm up to make it more official. I'm like, bro, why? So like, it, like it would literally turn into this, like yeah. we do this dynamic warm up, and the players knew, like, I didn't believe in like, why? Like they called it like a circle jerk. We're like, why are we doing this circle jerk? I'm like, yeah, bro, I don't know. And nobody's engaged. And then like, it's not even a warm up for them anymore. Like the, their brains aren't warmed up. Their, their bodies maybe are moving, but they, they still feel like shit. Like, like go play a big game of pickup basketball and i can't like you said like i suck at basketball but i play pickup basketball and i feel better like i feel better i feel ready to train i feel ready to jump like i'm ready to go i go run some high knees and i still feel like shit like my brain's not engaged in that like i'm not feeling better like that's a huge <laughs> part of like the warm-up is you send these football guys out and you just crush them on the field they're none of them are going to feel amazing nobody feels amazing during a football season nobody feels amazing during that you 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 send them through this warm up that they're not engaged and they don't want to do. They're feeling like shit at the end of the warm up still, and then you go tell them to go lift a bunch of weights, and then, and then you wonder why the mind isn't high. Whereas you give them like you said five minutes to go play a game, and now they're feeling like oh my god, like my body's feeling good. And a lot of it's just the movement variety too, and, and the psychological component of like being engaged in their movement. Then you go tell them to lift some weights. You go tell them to sprint. They're like hell yeah, let, let's fucking go. My body feels good. I want to go do something with my body that's feeling good. Let's go do something with it. Yeah, and to that point, I've found a lot of success. Whatever, like, the, the primary thing is, like, the key, it's like, what what's the most important lift, sprint? What what do I really want to be the focal point of today's lift to be? Like, um, or session, I should say. Whatever comes, that's what I'm going to do immediately after said game. Mm-hmm. You know, like, whatever, whatever the thing is that I feel like, you know, athletes need or can be something that could really drive improvement. Like that's the thing that's coming right after that. So it's like, I want that same energy to bleed over as much as possible. Cause even then, like, you know, it's not going to sustain throughout the entire workout. At some point they're going to shift and get back into, I'm in the weight room vibe, you know? And like, it varies based on group size. What's the culture? Are you able to play You know, there, there's so many factors that go into creating an environment, which is just so important. Um, but as far as like getting the most out of that warm up too, in my experience, like you, you have the warm up, you have the thing, we're locked in. Let's go fucking rip, you know, insert the thing. Yeah, and and that's something I saw. Like you, you were doing. Uh, it, they look like NFL athletes with that that circle chase game that you were playing. And you you mentioned this totally. This, yeah, and you mentioned this. The, the combine prep that you're working with with these athletes uh and, and one i would view that that circle chase game as the competition like you're preparing them for sports you're cha- preparing them to like chase evade like uh curve sprints curlinear sprints like you're you're preparing them for all the aspects of the sport but then you kind of have to with these combine athletes it's it's also a different beast because you have to also not only prepare them for the sports but prepare them for a lot of these tests that 
don't traditionally have a lot to do with the sports. Like a lot of the the correlation between the test and the sport itself don't have a lot to do with each other. So I'm always interested in coaches. Like, how do you balance that with those athletes? How do you balance? Because you can't just say as much as we want this. You hear some coaches now. It's like, well, just fuck all those tests. Like, I'm going to prepare them for their sport. Yes. But it's also a million dollar interview for them. Like you, you take a dude from like the sixth round to the fourth round because you got him faster in his 40 because you taught him how to do a start and you taught him how to do the test. And you made that dude generational money that he didn't have before. You made like him, you gave him a chance to play his sport. Like it's good that he has a, but a lot of it's a business, like getting drafted in the, your, you, that interview matters. So how do you balance those two things of like preparing him for the sport and preparing him for that million dollar interview? So the good news is, um, well, first, I'll start with my opinion. Like, as it comes down to again, like it's not about me. Um, it's about what's what is most important to the person in front of me. You know, and the purest athletic coach in me would say, you know, maybe initially uh, I want to be able to somehow, you know, balance the two or or you know bias as much as possible. You know, this what's going to work best on the field and what's going to work best for the test. If I'm honest with myself and my experience, <clears throat> my ability, um, what's most important to them right now in this context is the test. Mm-hmm. That's what it's all about. It is about the test. Now, I'm fortunate because the who I'm partnered with in this draft process, um, Mo Wells has his silo, that's speed, 40. Uh, Trey Hardy helps him. He's a former Olympian. Je- uh, Jordan Bush, um, he's the lead on strength i'm the lead on jumps and then we have ryan clark who played for the pittsburgh steelers for years he comes in and does all the db work we have ta with gold peak global who comes in and does all the running back and wide receiver change of direction uh and actual routes stuff that they're gonna have to do at the combine so you know i i've found and this this is maybe a bigger conversation of like staying in my lane you know and knowing what what my strengths are, what I'm qualified to do, and where what my impact having realistic a realistic appraisal of what my impact can be and what that looks like for the person in front of me. Um, so all that to say, we have people that are their their job, their role is to keep their ability to perform on the field as high as it possibly can without being in pads, without practicing, without actually, you know, like going full contact, which of course, like, you know, there's a big difference between seven on seven and playing real football, as you know. Um, But then for me personally, I get to focus on guys are getting stronger. Guys are jumping better. Guys are getting stronger. Guys are jumping better. And where the actual, the actual secret sauce is, having all of those pieces on the same page Mm -hmm. to make sure that each individual athlete is showing up uh, in a way where they're recovering adequately and showing consistent improvement. That's actually the, the bigger overarching um, uh, and most important piece is everyone needs to be on the same page. Communication has to be clear and being honest about, what pieces of the program need to either be downshifted or upgraded in terms of intensities or volumes in order to keep athletes healthy. And like you said, ready to perform their absolute best at the biggest job interview 
that one can possibly have as an athlete. Yeah, but that's that's a pretty sweet setup you got there. I'm very fortunate. I'm blessed. I really am, man. Like I, I I've you know, and there, there's this piece where you know, um, I'm I, I I do consider myself to be very just a blessed and fortunate. There's no other way to say it. Um, but then there is this other aspect where it's like I'm working alongside in collaboration with and and hand in hand with all of these great coaches and their respective um, niches um, and specialties. But it's because tying everything back to what I talked about earlier, I've constantly sought to put myself in a position where I can rub shoulders with these people. And my experience up to that point puts me in a position that when I actually get the opportunity that I'm able to show up, you know, and hold up my end of the bargain. Um, so yeah, it's been a cool experience. Yeah. And and this ties in a lot to probably the jumping Jack program, but your, your job with these NFL athletes is to get them to jump high and be strong. Like you said, like that, those are your two points. Yeah. How do you do that? How, how do you, how do you, how do you jump high? How do you get Jack? <laughs> like what, what's kind of your approach there? Like with you, with these athletes. And I know a lot of it's like, you probably do, do you do a lot of the, like the combined testing of like, training them how to do the test as well yes okay yes. okay could you could you dive into one i, I want to dive into the jumping jacks and, and how you get athletes strong and, and how you get them to jump high but also how you teach these athletes the test itself because those are two very different things and two very different skill sets that you have to have so possessing those things so maybe maybe dive into how you teach these athletes to do the test and what they need to learn to do the test and then we dive into the jumping jacked and how you teach athletes to be jacked and jumping high and doing windmill dogs which was pretty sweet i like that video of yours thank you man um yeah it's it's fun so you know at at current moment my my obsession the thing that i find that i just enjoy is uh i love to rip weights and i want to dunk dude like i want to jump high i love the feeling it was like when i was a little kid i would watch michael jordan and when i was out there in that driveway my, I'd stick my tongue out the whole thing. I bought, my parents bought me a trampoline so that I could run and jump on it and dunk, you know, like I, it's, it's been a lifelong thing. Let's just put it at that. Okay. Um, with the athlete. Yeah, dude, there's, there's a skill component. I mean, it, there's a skill component. <laughs> it's huge. And, um, the test itself, you know, the reason why I like the broad jump and I like the vert test is that, assuming that no one's packing their shoulder down um, and, and a standing reach, there's really no way to cheat those two tests, you know? Like, you're sure you can be shitty at broad jumping, you know, just not doing it or, or vertical jumping. But with athletes this good, dude, uh, and, like, they don't end up at this place by not being able to figure things out pretty quickly. Now, to that point, you'd be surprised at how – uh, how little some of them have in terms of awareness surrounding, like, I, I can't tell you how many hinges I have fixed in the past couple of weeks. Right. Like, and they've gone through an entire four year strength and conditioning program, just like anyway, doing Jefferson girls, which are fine, but pro not for what we're trying to accomplish. Um, so, you know, yeah, there, there's a skill component, but really what it comes down to is, and I dude, the, the same thing that I do, uh, in terms of creating competition for um, the warm-up as much as I can, that's what I've done with the jumps with these guys. You know, we, we do, we'll do different broad jump variations. Every guy gets his own color cone. Bijan got this far in three repetitive broad jumps. Who's going to fucking beat him? Who's going to beat him? You know? 
And if you're the leader, then I'll, then you better beat yourself, you know, on the next jump. And I can't tell you how much get clean gets cleaned up uh, in terms of, you know, the technical execution of the broad jump when you say, go beat that mark or, you know, uh, Cam, Bijan just jumped this. What do you got? You know, and when you create that environment, not only does intensity and output go through the roof and you see that as evident because guys are jumping farther and farther every week. But within the contrast of each session, it's fun. It's engaging. They look forward to it. Energy's high. Music's up. Guys are crazy when someone beats the next guy. Um, and so, you know, you can give them all the technical pieces and there, there are standards that the NFL has, right? Like, so for example, on the broad, and the vertical jump, the heels can't come up when you go into like the start of your counter movement jump, they have to stay planted on the ground until you begin essentially the concentric portion of the jump. Okay. Um, which is really on an unathletic way to perform both of those jumps. Like keep your heels down on the ground until you're going vertical. You know, it's like, uh, but like it's little things like that where I'm almost having to teach them how to not be athletic in that sense where it's like you're jumping like a robot here, okay? Uh, but the training piece itself, um, I do the same thing with the vert jump training. Like we've been doing a lot of like uh, – we started with like seated box jumps. Uh, I'm not – I'm sorry. Seated jumps over a hurdle to like a drop a, or a depth jump, I should say, um, to a static position. And then over as high a hurdle as you can. And every set, if you are able to jump over that hurdle, you have to raise it up, you know? So I've got guys in groups of three. So they're competing within their groups. But then that group's competing against the group next to them, you know? Um, so there's a comp there's a competition element no matter what, um, which is really fun when you're working with guys who are athletic enough to be in the NFL. Um, and then the technical piece is like every time we do it, it's like, hey, Remember, these are the things you got to think about. Go do it. And then I get out of the way and I just shut the fuck up. And if they fault on it or it shows up in a way that isn't helping them, then I say, hey, remember the thing we talked about? Run it back. You know, and sometimes it's really just that simple. Um, and then other times, a lot of these guys, depending on the athlete, because now I have relationships with, with some of them, I can pull a guy to the side and say, hey, you know, X, Y, Z, go back out there. Or on the spot, I can say, that wasn't good enough. Do it over, dude. You know, depending on the person, right? Um, so yeah. Anyway, I feel like I'm I'm rambling, but I, I think that's probably the gist of it. Yeah, that, that that's super good. But like like you like you're working with master self organizers. Like that's how they got to the level yep. that they're at. Like the, I, I talk about all the yeah. time, like how coaching when I I was coaching a division three level, and then I went to go coach a division one level. The division one level was the easiest coaching job I've ever had in my life, man. Like easiest. <laughs> they learned everything. Like this freshman class that we got in. I'm teaching them stuff that used to take division three freshmen like three weeks a month to learn i would show them they're like like this I'm like, yep that is perfect like you said i'm gonna shut up and get out of your way you're like you're you're a master self-organizer you figure things out and that's one of the best at like best ways to predict a good athlete i feel like it's just how quickly can they figure out what you're doing with them and like you said so you you put them in a environment in which they're able to organize and and they organize themselves like they don't need a ton of cues they, they you just give them something to chase yeah. And you'd be like, maybe just show them somebody that's doing it in front of them. And they're like, okay, I can do that. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to do that because I don't want to lose. And my body just naturally self-organizes into what I want it to. Yeah, 100%. And like, also like there's so much value in like having them all jump together at the same time in that environment, because you can watch a guy who maybe wasn't jumping at his full potential 
and then he changes something. You know, he's a little bit more. Let's use the broad jump. He's actually violent with his arms, and he's allowing his arms to be a part of the jumping process. And he keeps his feet in. He tucks his legs up underneath him, and really is able to reach out with his heels out in front of his body to get a few more inches instead of landing just straight up and down like a plank. Well, the guy that's going next saw that, yep. you know? And so, like, without having to speak, or really I can say, hey, you did a good job doing X, Y, and Z. Well, the guy right behind him, what's he going to do? He's going to try that same shit, you know? Or at least uh, that's what I've observed, you know? And maybe it works for him, maybe it doesn't, you know? And then that's another conversation, Right. Um, but yeah, so I, I agree. Like, I think the better the athletes get, the more likely that just all training works. <laughs> it does. But, uh, but then as you start to reach, whether it's a gen pop client or an elite athlete, once you get to the top end of their potential of whatever it is they're trying to accomplish, it becomes more about, you know, it, it, it matters a lot more, right? Because if, if you're going to – you need to know what levers to pull and when and why you're pulling them and how it all ties together um, because going from, you know, 0% of someone's full potential to 80% is probably pretty easy, you know? Uh, 80 to 90, not so much. 90 to 100, mm-hmm. it's going to take longer than uh, a six-week draft prep, <laughs> Yeah, you know? Could take could take yeah. a full decade for that last ten percent, especially the high level athlete. Bingo, yeah. dude. Yeah, one hundred percent, absolutely. So yep. one one of the things that you mentioned, uh, you talked about those different broad jump variations, and, the, and I talk about like we we introduce movement challenges, and one of the best things we've like talking, one of the best things I've done as a coach is I introduced what I call like we call them alpha points, and we have them compete in these movement challenges. The winner of the movement challenge of the day gets an alpha point the person with the most alpha points at the end of the week gets a WWE belt that we have in our gym. And I can't tell you. So awesome, dude. I can't tell you how much, like I look like a freak coach because of that stupid ass belt. Like you said, like they're, they're self-organizing and they're trying, like you said, that, that, that one guy in front of him, let's say it is the broad jump. He, he's moving his arms violently. The guy behind him doesn't want to lose that alpha point. So he's going to try that the, the arm swing, the big arm swing in there. But like you said, like either it works or it doesn't, but now he's experimenting actually trying a different thing and he's breaking out of his mold and he has intent behind breaking out of his mold. I can't tell you how much that has changed, how much those movement challenges and a purpose behind like gamifying those movement challenges has helped. I'm interested, why, what value do you find in those movement challenges, especially with something that is so like it's a standing vert and it's a broad jump? Like, why do you because I don't see a ton of combine prep people doing a lot of movement challenges, like you said, like mixing up the jumps, like you said, doing some depth drops over hurdles. Like a lot of it's just like standing vertical and broad jump, like basic stuff like that, then weightlifting. Like what what value do you find in those movement challenges and why, why do you work with those? Yeah, I just I've never I think you're just leaning into what already made these guys great in the first place is the competition. That's it. Like, you know, when I'm able to gamify um, the jumps also to do like there is this thing looming overhead and you can feel it all the time where it's like, is this going to be good enough? You know, like because it's not lost on these young men how important it is to go from like 9-8 to 10-4 in your broad jump or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Like, so there, there is this underlying undercurrent of, of like the, 
the gravity and the, quite frankly, the intensity um, and the implications of like jumping well or not. And when guys, when anyone is thinking about that, when they're trying to perform, it doesn't take a sports psychologist to tell you that it's going to negatively impact performance. Like you're not going, it's like, it's like, don't miss this shot. Don't miss this shot. Don't miss this shot. I fucking missed the shot. Of course you did, you know? And it's the same thing. It's the same thing with the jumps or anything else, you know, athletically where it's like, you know, you can control the controllables. And if I can influence, you know, an environment and take a guy's mind off, even just briefly about the the outcome being my potentially bringing my family out of poverty to I just got to beat that motherfucker right there. Best case scenario. That's it. That it doesn't get better than that. And all the boxes get checked. You know, the, everything that we just talked about. Um, and the programming itself doesn't, it's not like if you looked at it, you'd go, oh, all right. <laughs> you know, there's nothing special there. Um, I think it's all the, th- you know, it's, it's the gamification. It's the environment. It's creating the culture, which, you know, that word gets thrown around, but, you know, that culture of competition in a place that's like a loving, supporting and clear environment is so incredible. It's just it works. Yeah, bro. When when you said the the, like you take the the weight of that jump being from like taking my family out of poverty to beating the person in front of me. And if you're able to get that athlete to go into that, like, and then you see that with college athletes all the time and working with a lot of these games, it's like the, the coaches, like I seen it at practice. It's like, they do the same thing over and over again. And they feel like they, the coaches are all like, well, they all, they're all playing so tight. They're all doing it's like, yeah. Cause anytime they step out of what you want them to do, it's just a scream fest. Like there's no room for yeah. any variability. And on, I, I understand like part of it, like you, you want them to do that, but like, at some point, you have to let athletes athlete and just give them a, a space to be able to do so. And that's when the amazing things happen. And that's it's cheered for on game day. But if it happens on practice, it's like, ah, they're freaking out. It's like, of course, they're tight in that aspect. Like you yeah. said, like being able to take them out of that headspace, you're able to get so much better intent and just train that headspace in, too, because. At the end of the day, if they are beating the person in front of them at that combine, they're taking their family out of poverty. If they're beating the person that they're supposed to be at that jump, you know, like so training that headspace, like basically that's all that matters anyways. It's just this game. And if you play the game that way, rather than with the intense weight of your family on your back, like you're going to jump much farther and (laughs) you're going to take your family out of poverty and you're going to make the steps that you want to do. But we do that. I, I emphasize that so much, like. QBs like we, we have a group of QBs QBs and uh baseball players uh pitchers too it's like this pressure of like every throw every throw every throw matters and we'll bring them to yeah. handball games like one of the things I love about like playing we'll play handball with them and get them out of that headspace let them throw from a hundred different platforms let them throw to wide open people let them throw to people into double coverage like let them just mess around with their arm a little bit and you can't I can't tell you how many times you're like, oh, my God, I can't tell you how good that feels like I don't have a coach breathing down my back and being able to do this. And then they're able to just take a little bit of swagger. OK, I made that pass into double coverage. It completed it. I made that pass sidearm. And then you go and take it to the practice field with like where they just a little bit more swagger, a little bit more loosey goosey. And now they're able to throw the ball. And the coach is like, oh, man, he's confident. He's yeah, no shit. Like for the first time in probably four years. <laughs> yeah you've let him just throw a ball like, and at the end of that's what he's doing. He's just throwing, he's solving movement problems with his arm. He's throwing the ball and he doesn't need the weight of the world. And he doesn't need the weight. And that's a lot of times like 
the coach puts the weight of his job because his job is on the line at all times. So he puts the weight of his job on that athlete. It's like, man, just take that off and yeah. let the athlete solve the movement problem in front of them and then stop throwing that weight on him. Yeah, 100%. And I, I think there is, uh, there's something you, you said a, a line in there that I'm going to use for the rest of my line now, uh, my life now. So I'm going to let you know ahead of time, let athletes athlete. I think that's like the perfect uh, summation. Like you, there, there needs to be time or there's value in allowing athletes to athlete. Yeah. Period. And it doesn't need to be, like I said, like there's a technical and tactical component to your sport as well. And that like, they need to understand that and they need to know where they need to be on this play and they need to understand cover three. And they do need to understand to like, again, it's not the athlete to athlete and we're only on one spectrum. Like you all said, but there's that middle ground of like spending some time athlete to athlete, spending some time technical tactical. And in the middle is where you're going to find that just like Troy Polamalu type athlete. That is like, okay, that is what we want. It's what we, Patrick Mahomes is the same way. It's like, you you see a high school yep. quarterback throwing that way, and the coach is going to shit on him and do it. But yet, we at the highest level, like that, he's the perfect understanding of understanding technical tactical models. Obviously, has a phenomenal physical motor and genetics going into that. But he understands technical sure. tactical, and at the end of the day, he he lets himself athlete when he needs to athlete. And then you get to see like this Hall of Fame package on the field in front of us, and we try to take a lot of we all, we either try to pull way too much in like one direction or the other rather than just like staying in that gray, like we mentioned at the start of the podcast. Yeah. Speaking of Patrick Mahomes, who you got this weekend, Bengals or Chiefs? Oh, uh, I, I'm going to go with the Bengals. I'm going to put money on the Bengals. Uh, I think Burrow is just <laughs> kind of go. savage right now. I really want, I really want Burrow, or I really want uh, Mahomes to win. Um, But I, I, Burrow, man, that dude is a savage right now. That dude does not, that man is walking on the field with like a 19 inch. Yeah. yeah. That dude does not think he can win. <laughs> yeah. And I love it, bro. I love it. Like, I love that swag here. So I got, I got him winning. And then I want, um, I want Brock Birdie to, to lead him to the ship. I think that would also be badass. I got San Fran winning there. It would be a legendary. legendary. How about you? I think that's, that, those are good calls. I, I I think I'm pulling for the Bengals because we, we've got some guys that we train on the Bengals um, personally. But I think the game I would like to see the most um, is uh, Eagles-Bengals. Yeah. I think uh, with the way the Eagles have played this year uh, and then just to see – you know, and again, like the Bengals watching Joe Burrow do his thing, I think that would make for the most entertaining Super Bowl, and that's that's what I'm really here for. I just I just want to see a good game. Let's, yeah, just go play. Either you know? Burrows or Hurts getting their their ring would be pretty dope, solidifying them a little bit. Dope. Yeah. Last last yeah, question of the absolutely. podcast before we go. Um, I kind of want to dive a little bit into that jumping jack program. How does that? How, what does that kind of look like? So now it, I'm assuming that's more. Guys like you and you and me, like they just like we want to go rip some weight, want to go jump high, we want to windmill. Um, what was that kind of program look like? How did maybe how does maybe that differ from the combine athletes? What how how are we going about that process of uh, throwing down windmills while looking like a two hundred twenty pound just meat rocket? <laughs> um, so yeah, the the program was an idea that I'd had for a while, and, and it was kind of born out of like you know I wanted to put something out. I was like I, I knew I wanted to put out a product and. When I'm thinking it, when I was thinking about it, I was like, what, what do I want to put out? And I was like, the only thing that kept coming to me was what was, what's most authentic to me, you know, like what, what do I really feel like I know and like what embodies whatever it is that I enjoy doing most? And the answer was just, it was abundantly clear. It was, I like to jump high 
and I want to be Jack, you know, and like that, that's become the tagline for the program. It's jump high, get Jack. And, um, admittedly, it's definitely a niche, uh, uh, thing, but I knew that in writing it and marketing for it and all the things above that I was going to love every second of it. And that's turned out to be true. And, and, um, you know, I'm qualified to uh, write a program on that subject. Like that has, that is what I've been working towards for years. So I reached out to my friend, Daniel Bach. He's also known on Instagram as jump science and speed science. The guy is brilliant. Um, I've done some of his jump programs in the past and he and I, over the years for me doing some of his programs, us training together, dunking together. um, You know, I kind of brought this concept to him. And he thought it was a great idea too. And so we collaborated and it differs from what I do with current athletes because um, speed and sprinting while in the program, because it is important for just being a better overall athlete. And I think it has some um, potent impact on one's ability to maximize their jump height. Um, It's not the purpose of the program, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, the, it, it's, it's, it's not jump high, get jacked and be, you know, uh, be fast as fuck, which all by the way, I want all three, but it's hard to do all three of those things and them also be prioritized. You know, mm-hmm. like if I, if the goal is to ultimately jump higher, like I, I've got to move the needle in that direction of actually like being jacked and jumping high. So we, it took us a while. To program it, man. We met multiple times, probably like five or six times. And even down to the crunch at the end when we're like building out the PDF and like putting the final touches on it, he and I are a shit ton of time on the phone talking about the implications of how one exercise on this day might tie in better to the rest of the program from a from a, a principled perspective. And, you know, is this an appropriate time to place this in terms of recovery for making sure that the dunk session gets the desired effect and outcome. Um, it's an eight week program till what I like to say, your desired level of jackness and bounce is achieved. Um, and, uh, it's three weeks on load, three weeks on another deload. You retest your jump height and your one rep maxes and bench and squat. And then you run it back. Um, it's definitely something that like, you know, I've run three times back to back to back now. And like, I'm going to take a little break now, you know, like I've got a lot of good gains, but when you're training that intensely for, you know, what is 24 weeks, mm-hmm. like I'm feeling a little beat up, you know? <laughs> so I'm going to take a few weeks off. I'm only going to do some jumping, sprinting, some light lifting and dude, I'm hopping right back on. Cause it's working, you know, and I enjoy it. Right. So, uh, it's, it's two upper body days, two lower body days. There's sprints and jumps mixed in all throughout the days of the program. Um, and I feel like it's kind of, again, tying back into what we talked about in the beginning. It's all the things that Daniel and I throughout our careers as coaches um, have found to be useful, helpful, that drive the needle and none, nothing else. We trimmed all the fat as much as possible. Um, and I'm really proud of it. I mean, I, I really am. It's It's been a fun project to work on. And, you know, uh, for me personally, like when people ask, like, what program are you running? What are you doing? I tell them the best one. 
What are you talking Like, the one that I think is the best at current moment. That might change. But, like, if I'm doing it in my training relative to the goals I have, it's because I think it's the best possible thing that I can do for me. And so if if you do jumping jacks, um, know that, like, you're doing what I and what Daniel have arrived at being the, the formula for jumping high and also being completely jacked. Um, yeah. Which, which, it's, it's which, been fun. Which, which I think is a huge part, too. Because, like, you running your program and then you showing your results from the program, like, it, it's really this non-BS approach. Obviously, it's N of 1, but, like, there's at least a belief factor of you going through it and trying it and experimenting with it and switching and be like, because I've seen, bro, I brought some programs. I'm like, there's no way you ran through that. There is no way you guys ran through this. And we're like, yep, this is it. You this is it. This? These yeah. workouts are two hours long. Yeah, they're 14 <laughs> hours long, bro. There's like, we just hit 19 <laughs> sets of squats and now we're hitting 19 sets of, you know, like, it's like it doesn't stop. Like, there's no way you guys actually yeah. ran through this program <laughs> and what we're doing. Like, and every time. So that, that that's one of the big things I saw is like, and you got results. Like, it's not only that you're running the program yeah. and like anybody can just run a program. Like, you're getting results. Like, you went from that, like, the, the win, you got the windmill, but like you said, it was like that, that little Charlie windmill to the, like, the full, like, yam, yeah, like session. And you, yes. you're posting all the PRs. Like, I think that's one of the coolest things is like, you're showing the results from the program and you're showing like, okay, this is working. This, this is, this is my process right now. This is, and this is what I love about like, we, we have an online training platform too. And it's, my online training platform is basically my training diary. Like my training diary, if something really yeah. fucking sucked, I take it out. Like, cause I experiment on myself all the time. I'll experiment with it and go through like that did not work. You're not, you guys aren't getting that, but like, this is my training diary. This is what I'm doing. <laughs> this is what's working for me right now. And we're going to continue on this process. Um, but I find that so valuable. And I respect that so much in coaches is like, do your own shit. Take your own medicine, bro. Like take your own medicine. Is it working? Yes or no? Because I know a lot of you are not taking your own medicine. We're just kind of selling it to other people. 100%. And like even troubleshooting the program, like we write this program and like immediately from the moment we got the first week done, I started, I'm like, all right, well, I know what I'm doing next. <laughs> and that was a lot of the process of elimination and adding things and taking things out was because like, it wasn't theoretical, you know? It wasn't just like, yep, that looks good on paper. Like, no, motherfucker. Like, I did all of the wrong formulas of that program prior to finding the one that I'm like, oh, like, I think we did it, dude. You know? And Daniel Daniel and I, like, we're doing those workouts together and seeing how we recover, seeing how we respond. And so it took, dude, I don't know. I want to say it took five or six months to put that together. But it was because, you know, it was like, it was a labor of love, one, and two, like, I took it really seriously because if I was going to put something out and Daniel's the same way, where like, I'm not putting my name on something that I don't feel really confident in. And Daniel mm -hmm. was the same way. Um, and there was that trial and error where it was like, the first thing that we had down was not, it was <laughs> absurd. It was like, these workouts are two fucking hours long. I'm beat up. I sure I can do it, but like, you know, do we need this? And uh, so it was, it was a wonderful learning process as well. Yeah. When you're, when you're running through these programs, a lot looks good on paper, you know, like a lot looks good on paper. You're reading a book, a lot looks good in the book. Uh, applying what looks good to what actually is good is two massively different steps in a programming, like in a programming sense. 10,000%.
Well, coach, this, this was this was awesome. This this was this is a great podcast. I know we had some technical difficulties with the with the Wi-Fi, but I want to thank you for sticking through and, and going through through the leg that we had with the dog unplugging the Wi-Fi. So thank you for being on. This this is awesome. <laughs> Man, thank you for having me. And um I'm happy to come back on any other time you'll have me. This has been a lot of fun. Um, I'm glad that we finally got an opportunity to meet. You know, I've I've been watching your work for a while now. And and by the way, your captions are just a plus every single time i can tell it's just your stream of consciousness uh and i just i i i I see a lot of myself in you and your captions and uh if you're not reading his captions you're screwing yourself go read them they're fantastic i appreciate that thank you guys for listening keep chopping wood thank you for listening Join us next week as we dive down another rabbit hole. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a five-star rating. Follow us on Instagram at Austin Yoakum to stay updated on future podcast guests. Keep chopping wood.